What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, uh, if you turn in your Bible to Psalm 22... Psalm 22 will continue with this uh, amazing portion here in Scripture that uh, God has been so good to privilege us with the ability to be able to see, to know what was inside the mind of the Lord Jesus. How terrific is that? And that's what this gives us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for opening your heart, opening your mind to us, especially, Lord, the mind of your Son, the Lord Jesus, on the cross. Help us, Lord, to, to enter in to Lord his, um, his feelings, his thoughts, as we study this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 22, Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I'm not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me at their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Stop there. You know, in our last study, we really began to, you don't, you don't study this passage in Psalm 22. You dive into it. You plunge into it because this is going into the great depths of what the Lord Jesus was sunk into when he was there on the cross. And specifically, 
we saw last week in verse six, he was commenting on his condition, and he said, I am a worm and no man. And it's shocking. It's shocking to see the Lord to be reduced to such a low state, the lowest animal, just a worm. His body was so destroyed on the cross that he said that I'm not even a man. Lo ish, I'm no man. And this was prophesied of the Lord in Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 verse 14. Isaiah 52 14, it says, as many were astonished, or astonished, astonished, at the his visage, his face, was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. Now, this is the description in Isaiah 52, and from this description, we move into Isaiah 53. And we have the reaction. So first, he's speaking about himself, just like he is in Psalm 22, in Isaiah 52, and then we have the other side, which is how the people saw him there in that condition in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 3, Isaiah 53, 3, the people are speaking, and they say, he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised. We esteemed him not. He was not just despised, but there was even a stronger reaction in Israel where the Lord, the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus, I mean the Father, rather, the Father speaks in, the, in Isaiah 49.7, Isaiah 49.7, thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth, to whom the nation abhorreth. Abhorreth. The, the ultimate statement of how the Lord Jesus was despised, of how he was such a national shame, of how he was officially rejected, was when the nation was given an option to make a choice, a choice between the Lord Jesus and a murderer named Barabbas. And Barabbas was chosen. And that happened in Luke 23, 18. Luke 23, 18. They cried out all at once saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. We want him. We don't want him. And there's two words that would describe what happened at that point in Acts, in Acts chapter 3, verse 14. Acts 3, 14, where it was said to the nation, ye denied the Holy One, the just. That's the first word, denied. You denied the Holy One and just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Denied and desired. Denied him, desired the murderer. Now, we saw in verse six that he was so aware of how the nation viewed him that he said, I am a reproach. And we saw last week that that was the word herpa, which is a very, very important word because it means shame. And he said, it's a very strong word the fact that that's such a strong word, a shame, it shows us why the Jewish people are so resistant to the gospel. Have you ever asked that question? I do every day. Why are the Jewish people so resistant to the gospel? Because from the youngest age in a typical Jewish home, the teaching is that Jesus Christ is a shame. He is a national shame for the Jewish people. He's viewed as such a shame that in a typical Jewish home, he's never spoken about his words are never read, they're never discussed. This is what he said. He said, I am ashamed because of what he said in verse six. He was a reproach, he was a shame. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He's such a despised and ashamed by the people. There's just no interest. There's no interest at all 
among Jewish people to, is to say, he's one of ours, he's one of ours. You know that there are even websites today dedicated to finding out, is this person Jewish or not? You know, Jew, no Jew, you know? And you type in a name, or you go on the internet, you go on, you go, you type in, you know, and it's, oh, it's so interesting, you know, is Kirk Douglas Jewish? Oh, he is, oh, he's one of ours, you know? <laughs> Wolf Blitzer? Oh, he's one of ours, you know? But Jews never type in, is Jesus Jewish? No, they never do that. Why? He's a national shame. He's a national shame. And he's speaking about this here. Now the Lord is seeing those that are seeing him in the next verse, in verse seven, and he says, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. Laugh me to scorn. He sees the people, they're just staring at him. He says, they see me. They see me. So that means that he is conscious of being stared at, really stared at. And you know, for, for the most part of his life, uh, b- before this portion here, the Lord Jesus was not really taken seriously, not at all by the, by the leaders. In Isaiah 53.3, Isaiah 53.3, when it says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. You know, don't talk about him, don't see him. It's okay. He is so despised and he is so rejected that for the most part, he was just ignored. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. That was what it was. And, and it was only those who were really seeking his help that really went for him. And so, for example, when the leaders sent officers to him to arrest him, and they came back empty-handed, and the leader said, what happened? Why aren't you bringing him? They replied in John 7, 46. In John 7, 46, the officers answered, never man spake like this man. Uh, It's the last thing the Pharisees wanted to hear. So they replied, then answered them the Pharisees, are ye also deceived? And then they said, have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? See, that was their strategy. That was their argument. They keep a tight ship. Nobody cast the vote for him. So the Pharisees, they ignored the Lord by pointing out the fact that none of them believed, and that was their strategy. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. But now on the cross, it's all different. Now it's, they're not hiding their faces from him. They're staring at him. And he's so conscious of, now they're staring at him. You know, whenever the Lord is depicted in paintings or things like that, you know, he's always drawn with a loincloth. But that's not how the Romans treated their victims on the cross. In order to inflict the greatest humiliation on their victims, they stripped them naked. And so there was the Lord naked on the cross, And this is what he's referring to when it says, all they that see me, they're staring at him. Several times in this Psalm 22, he talks about being stared at. It's just the verse in 12, verse 12, Psalm 22, 12, he says, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They're on the front of me, they're on the side of me, they're in the back of me. And here he comments of how he's been surrounded by those who are staring at him. It says in verse 17, in verse 17, here, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. And all this is what is recorded in Luke 23, 35, Luke 23, 35, where it says, the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. Now, so if we could go back into the scene of him on the cross here, this is what we would see. We would see people staring at him, just staring at him. That's exactly what they were doing then. And it's so interesting when it says that on the cross they were staring, they were looking upon him because the same words are used 
at the time when they become converted in the future, which is in Zechariah 12, Zechariah 12, 10, when the nation is born in a day, the nation is converted, and all of a sudden he becomes not their shame, but their pride and joy. And what happens in, in Zechariah 12, 10, it says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me, same, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Only this is gonna be different because now when they look, there'll be such the deep spirit of repentance is they'll say, we did that to him. But now they're just staring. They're staring on him. And there is a wicked transition that is taking place here as they transition, as they progress from staring at him to laughing at him. Now, this isn't the first time that this has happened to the Lord, being laughed, as it says in the King James, laughed to scorn. It says in Luke 8, 49, Luke 8, 49, here was a time when there was a ruler of the synagogue, a ruler of the synagogue. He was desperate. He never would have done this except his daughter was dying. And it says in, in Luke 8, 49, while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered saying, fear not, but only believe, and she shall be made whole. In other words, she's gonna live. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden, and all wept and bewailed her. But he said, weep not, she's not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that he was dead. So here's this scene here where this poor desperate father loves his daughter his daughter so much and, he, and she's dying and he says, I don't care who I have to go to. If someone can help my daughter, forget about everything I'm going. And so while he's going to the Lord, the, the dreaded report that he hoped he would never hear, that every parent hopes they never hear, children should never die before the parents. And the report comes, she's dead. And the Lord says, don't, don't stop right there. Don't let your mind run any further. She's gonna live. And when they heard that, they laughed him to scorn. They la their laughter digressed to a level of making fun of him. Here he is. He has said this, and he's being laughed to scorn. What was he doing then? He was actually in the process, because he is the God of life, of going to bring life to a, to a girl that was dead. He was going to bring a dead little girl back to life and he's being laughed to scorn. Here he is on the cross. What's he doing on the cross? What he's doing there is described in Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14 says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also likewise himself took part of the same. Stop there. You know, you always start off and you, and, and you, you start off, you read in the New Testament, just started a book of Matthew, been thinking about this. So you start off in the book of Matthew and you've got this genealogy. And you know, when you, when you open the book of Matthew, you say, oh man, I can't pronounce these words. These, why do I have to tab this, you know? And, and, you, and you say to yourself, okay, well, quick, let's get through this now. Let's get, no, no, you have to ask the question, why is that there? Why is there this genealogy? In the case of Matthew, it's Joseph. In the case of Luke, it's Mary. Why is all that there? It's there because because it's there because the Passover time, when God told the father of the house, well, God, Moses said to all the fathers, every father here, you've got to go find the lamb. Find the lamb, go into your herds, get the lamb or the goat, and mark them out. 
And you go there and you examine each one. You know, this is, I remember I used to do this. Well, we had goats. This is not, no, I didn't do the Passover, but I mean, the, we, we had 300 goats living with us. And I immunized, I used to immunizing the goats with 100 different antigens. And 300 goats, I had to make sure I injected the right goat with the right antigen, you know. Anyway, so I'd have to go out, you know, make sure the goat could take it. We had 50 goats in a pen. I have to go out there and find out which is this goat. Okay, here he is. Now look him over real carefully, and then I'd mark him with a paint stick, come back and inject him later. Anyway, so the father is going out there, and he's looking over all the goats, and he's looking them over there, and he's, no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. He's, oh, this one here, and he marks them out. So that's what the genealogies are all about. You come to each person in that genealogy, and what it's saying is, you can ask the question with each person in the genealogy, was that an angel or a man? Oh, it was a man, okay. And you go down and man, 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 man. Okay, he, this is, we all take part of flesh and blood. That genealogy just drives on the point. He took part of flesh and blood. And then you ask the other question. You go down there and say, this person, did he die or just kept living forever? No, he died. Okay, this one died. Then you go, death, 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 death. Okay, he took part of flesh and blood. And why? Because of Hebrews 2.14, Hebrews 2.14 through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So I was trying to point out this thing about these genealogies, they're like a pedigree of life, a pedigree of of humanity, I should say. A pedigree of humanity, and he's part of humanity. A pedigree of death, and he also will die as well. He died, by the way, in Psalm 22, he died. He died just like you and me. Don't let anybody tell you that he didn't really die. He dismissed his spirit, whatever that means. He died. He was dead as a doornail. When he died, he died. And and just to prove that he died, it doesn't just say the gospel is not that he died and and was resurrected. You know what that little part in there? He died and was buried. He was buried. You don't bury anything unless it's dead. You better not. And, and so he, he, really, he really died. Now, so, so here on the cross, he is dying. He is dying. And through his death, he's going to bring life to us, to everyone who believes into him. And so just like when he was there bringing life to that little girl who had died, he was laughed to scorn. Here he is dying on the cross to bring life to us. He's laughed to scorn. And then it says in verse seven, they shoot out the lip. That's like sticking their tongue out at them. It's a sign of contempt. It talks about that in Psalm 35, 21. Psalm 35, 21. They open their mouth wide against me saying, aha, aha, or I have seen it. See, and then it says they shake their head. They shake their head. Now, what are they doing when they shake their head? They're saying, no, 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 he's not the Messiah. No, no, he's not the king. And they're shaking the head. It's this rejection. It's this hiding, as it were, the faith, our eyes from him, shaking the head. And then they shake their head and they say, and, they, and, and then they say these words in verse eight. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. See, it's a mockery. They're mocking him. And it's interesting when they say he trusted in the Lord. He trusted on the Lord because the word trusted is interesting because it's only this Hebrew word, galal, galal, is only used 20 times in the Bible. And it's actually a word, a Hebrew word that was made famous in a famous love 
the scene between uh, Jacob and Rachel. You know, Jacob sees Rachel the first time. He says, oh, I've never seen such a girl so beautiful. He goes and cries and kisses her. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is that when he sees her there, he gets this supernatural strength because he's so in love with this girl. What a girl, anyway. And then he goes, and there's a big stone in front of a, a well's mouth that everybody says, okay, you know, we got to wait for all the boys to arrive to pull up, pick up the stone, you know, and then we can move it over. She needs water? I'll do it. And it's and he does it by himself, see? And then he has a permanent back injury. No, no, he doesn't. Anyway. But the point is, and so it makes a point about this, he rolled the stone, that's the word galal. That's the word galal. It's rolled the stone. Jacob rolled the stone off of the well's mouth so that he could impress Rachel. Anyway, so that's a very important word. So in other words, here, when they said he trusted on the Lord, galal, they're saying he rolled himself on the Lord. He rolled himself in the Lord. That has a lot of meaning. It has a lot of meaning for us, the word rolled. It's a very important Bible word because when we struggle in our lives, with, we're worried about so many things. We're worried about the direction of our lives. We cogitate over, you know, the, are we going in the right way? And the Lord comes and he sees us in this situation and he says, Psalm 37, 5. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The word commit is the word galal. Roll your way on the Lord, is what he's saying here. It reminds me of the story of a man who was driving his cart, his horse cart, down the road into town, and he came across a lady there, and she was carrying this very, very heavy sack of potatoes on her back, and she's struggling along with this big, heavy sack of potatoes on her back. And the man felt so bad for her, he stopped. And he says, you know, just climb up into my cart here. So he, she gets up in the cart, you know, and he starts off, you know, down the road there. And then he looks back, and there's the lady. She still has a sack on her back, a sack of potatoes on her back. And he says to the lady, he says, take the load off your back and, and put it in the cart. And she says, oh, no, you've done so, so much. I put you in so much trouble carrying me. I can't ask you to carry my sack also. <laughs> That's a picture of us. That's a picture of us when we don't roll the burdens off of our back onto the Lord. We're just like the, la the lady. Oh, no, you saved us. I've done so much trouble in saving us. I can't let you carry my burdens, too. They would do that. We're worried about what we do. So the direction, we're worried about what we do in our lives. And we think, oh, did I do the right thing? Maybe I should have done it this way. Oh, you know, maybe it's this way. And then we get plagued with so-called second thoughts that drive us crazy. And that, when, when the second thoughts that drive us crazy comes to us, we get plagued with that, then the Lord says, Galal, he says, Proverbs 16.3, Proverbs 16.3, Galal, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts will be established. You won't be driven crazy when you roll your works unto the Lord. Commit them. So this image of rolling our works, rolling our direction, rolling ourselves, on the Lord is very important, and this is what formed the basis for Peter when he said in 1 Peter 5, 7, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So when the mockers are there, and they're saying, they're using this word galal, they're using scripture to taunt the Lord, 
And we have the whole history of what they said. This actually, we have, you know, we're Psalm 22, but we have the complete history in Matthew 27, 39. Matthew 27, 39. Listen carefully what they said. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and builds in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, Save a, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.